Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. How you going? Thanks for being here. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm Osha Ginsberg and this is my podcast. Uh, I've been here twice a week since 2013. Mondays I speak with a guest, Fridays I speak with you and this podcast is here to help you make today just a little bit better than yesterday. Something you hear on the show either with a guest when I'm interviewing someone or on a Friday when I'm talking to you will help you make today just a little bit better than yesterday. That's all there is to it. I'm a TV host and an author and a dad and a stepdad and a gastro recoverer and a early morning bicycle rider from Sydney, Australia. Currently watching the rainfall, which is really quite lovely. Remembering that this time last year we were in drought, so I'm enjoying it. I'm from Sydney, Australia. That's where I live right now. And um, yeah, I've been here twice a week since 2013. So there's a school jillion other episodes to listen to and you're, you're more than welcome to go check them out. Uh, it'd be lovely if you did. Thank you very much to everyone that shot me an email through the week. You can always find me, send osher email at gmail.com. That's where I am. I love to see what you're looking at when you're listening. Thanks heaps to Lisa who sent me a, a cracking shot of her greyhound having a beautiful time walking along the water at Shorncliffe. I appreciate that. That's a lovely sunrise. What a great time to listen to the show while you're having a walk. Nice one, Lisa. Good on you. Rip a beauty. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, to check in with you, hang on one second. Uh, okay, hold on here. Hi, we're back. You don't realize this, but it's been about four hours since I recorded that first bit. <laughs> uh, it's been a fun four hours. I uh, I went and put a baby to bed and went and got my bike refit to my body, had some lunch, and now I'm back because um, I had hip replacement surgery and now my one leg is a different length than my hips. Anyway, I had to get the bike fit back to my body. Bikes, you get bikes fit to you like you have a jacket tailored to you. Anyway, to check in. Hi, to check in. I've been talking a bit about getting up early and um, riding my bicycle, and I do kind of just slip into that. I do my riding before I get on my bike. That's like a, a mandatory, and I do it every day. And I wanted to talk a little bit about using writing almost as uh, mental health first aid. And I kind of wanted to do a couple of Fridays talking about this because there's many different ways. But in my journey, not only of recovery from alcoholism, but also in recovery from my mental health issues, I've found writing, the actual act of holding a pen or pencil in my hand and putting pen to paper, not thumbs on a phone, has been incredibly powerful for not only observing irrational thoughts and irrational ideas, but also allowing me to identify patterns of thinking that are getting me into trouble that I otherwise haven't identified. And I do this every morning without fail. I have notebooks piled to the ceiling of this stuff and I do it I do it every day. And I've talked about it on the show before, but I thought it might be time to, I best guess, do a bit of a series on, of podcasts on different techniques that I found to be very helpful. And perhaps you may, uh, if you've never heard of them before, you may want to explore them yourself or, you know, be reminded to, to use them again. There's different kinds of, of writing. There's journaling. There's, if, for example, if you're in a 12-step program, there's a fourth step. There's... Uh, there's all kinds of things, but I, I kind of wanted to start for me. I wanted to start where it started for me, which was CBT columns. CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT columns. I first learned about this when I got diagnosed with PTSD after being in New York on September 11. Don't worry, I wasn't anywhere near World Trade Centers, but it was scary as fuck. And um, yeah, I was really weird when I came back. <laughs> very, very weird. And... I got, I got taught how to do it. Now, CBTs, if you've never ever approached CBT before, cognitive behavioral therapy, I found it particularly helpful. But if you've never approached it before, it, at first, it, it can be quite confronting. If you've never questioned your own thoughts, it can be quite confronting. If you've never questioned the idea of this, your ability to realize the situation that you're in, might not be what's actually going on. If you've never even thought that, if you've only ever believed your first instinct as to what's happened, it can be quite confronting. <laughs> you just have to, I guess it starts with just understand 
that the world that you see is as you choose to see it. What you see around you, the way you see people behave, all of these things are as you choose to see them. Things don't happen for a reason. They don't. They just happen. We, we the humans, we give the reasons to everything. We are meaning-seeking creatures. I'm sure it was an evolutionary thing that allowed us to ascertain meaning out of cause and effect, out of this thing happened, therefore that thing might, therefore I will act in this way, which has kept people alive for the last 10, 20, 100 million years, whatever. But in those seekings, in the seeking of meaning, all right, the seeking of meaning out of benign actions or really, you know, obtuse actions or the smallest things, sometimes those meanings can get distorted and we can interpret life in ways that don't match up to what's actually happening with the interpretations of the situation of everybody else in the room. Now, this can be a, a big deal to suddenly think, oh, hang on. Everyone else here is cool. Why am I not cool? Oh, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm reading this situation wrong. That's a very, if you've never been there, it can be a huge hurdle to get over. The analogy I would use is being on an airplane back when we could fly, being on an airplane under intense turbulence, you're feeling really scared, but you look at the cabin crew and they are chill, all right? Because they know that that plane is engineered to withstand Whatever, how many times more you're currently under. They don't care, all right? But you, you're thinking fear. I'm feeling the plane shake. We're jumping up and down. My glass, my drink is spilling. They're chatting about what coffee shop they're going to go to when they land. All right? And you are looking at them going, why aren't you afraid as well? Well, it's because, you know, you, you're feeling there's bumps in the plane and, and the, the plane jolting around. You're making it mean the thing's going to fall apart. They're like... We know this thing can fly backwards in a cyclone. We're fine. And so it, it, it can be quite challenging if you've never confronted your own assertion of a situation. Now, when I got diagnosed with PTSD, part of having PTSD was I was very anxious. I was so jumpy. I was anxious. I was depressed. I was spinning into extreme emotional reactions at work. And it was really difficult. It was really difficult because I was, um, I guess I was quite tough to be around. So my shrink at the time, my, my psychologist that work sent me off to see, because I was pretty weird and work were like, my boss, she said, are you okay? And I just went, no. She went, she go see someone. And so they sent me off to work because I was on a work trip when, you know, this all went down. And my shrink, lovely bloke called Phil, he taught me uh, the cognitive behavioral therapy technique, the CBT column technique, which I still use today. Just a little background on CBT. It, it was developed by a psychiatrist by the name of um, Aaron Beck. And he had a student of his, David Burns, who went on to create a whole bunch of research that eventually uh, led to this. David Burns wrote a book called Feeling Good. Uh, and that is one of the books that absolutely changed my life. Absolutely changed my life, that book. I thoroughly recommend it. It's, there's a reason it's a gajillion seller because it's fucking amazing. Now, where this technique was helpful for me was that it allowed me to see the ways that my depression and my anxiety was distorting how I perceived reality, therefore dictating my reactions to situations, which then reflected that distortion. So it felt normal for me 
and it felt rational to me to behave in these ways, but everyone else might have found it pretty weird because I'm reacting in, in, in anger or fear or but the same thing. But, yeah. Now, while it did surprise me to learn the ways that my brain was distorting things and the ways that my brain was reading what was happening, it did surprise me that I was distorting things. It also, it really surprised me that the ways I was distorting things were just really common and everybody does them and they could be grouped into a very short list of common cognitive distortions. I'm no special snowflake, unfortunately, <laughs> for my ego. I'm just the same as everybody else. <laughs> and as I read the pages of this book, A, I couldn't quite believe that I was doing exactly what was written in this book some 20 years beforehand, but B that there was a way out, that there seemed to be a way out, that there seemed to be, he wrote stories of people who had used the technique and had found a way to ease their, ease their pain. And the distortions are really interesting, okay? If you've never been aware of cognitive distortions before, this might be news to you, but as I read through them, you'll go, oh, I know exactly what that is. So the most common ones are all or nothing thinking in that, we view things in absolute terms. It's everything or it's nothing, all right? So I don't know, say, for example, you're trying to learn how to drive and your wheel touches the curb in a reverse park. You're like, that's it. I'll never learn how to drive. I might, I should give up, all right? It's all or nothing. Overgeneralization is another uh, error. And overgeneralization, over you can usually identify in your speech or the way you think about things, if you use the words always or never, you're always leaving me alone at parties or you never um, you never do the dishes or you never wash up or you only ever call me when you're drunk or something like that. I'm just, I'm just trying to make some stuff up. Or like, say, for example, if you have a penchant for putting money on horse racing, you know, uh, you once won money with a horse that had the word saint in its name. So now every time you see a horse with the word saint in its name, you, you have to bet on it. it. makes completely no sense, no matter how much money you lose, but you'll do it, all right, because of that, right? Uh, mental filter is another error. It's almost the opposite of generalization, but it's got the same mental outcome. It's instead of taking one small event and generalizing it, for example, the word saint, and therefore every time a horse has the word saint, it will win. It then takes that one thing and filter out everything else. All right. So for example, I don't know, say you have a nose that doesn't look like other people's noses on Instagram. You might go, my nose is too big and therefore I'm ugly. All right, so you, you're totally discounting your eyes, your smile, how you make people feel when you're around them, the beautiful stories you tell, the hugs you give, the meals you cook, your company, that you you, know, you have a great, you know, vibe. Like you completely filter out everything else and you just focus on this one negative thing. The next one is kind of on the same lines, discounting the positive that involves ignoring or invalidating any good things that have happened to you. Absolutely nothing ever works out for me, ever, all right? I'm pretty sure you would have caught a green light today, all right? But, <laughs> you know, nothing good ever happens to me, 
Like that's really, really not quite true. Jumping to conclusions is another big one. Someone I'm I'm really good good at. Like say for example, I don't know, you did something at a party and I'm like, oh I bet I bet she thinks I'm stupid after I said that. You know? you I'm here to tell you, you'd be surprised how little other people think about you. <laughs> um, I had to learn that one. But yeah, so that's that's a that's a big one. Magnification is a big one. Exaggerating the importance of problems or shortcomings while while minimizing the importance of things that are desirable. For example, my Audrey, I do this one all the time. Audrey is annoyed that I forgot to get something when I was at the shops, all right? In my head, I'm like, it's the worst that she's, I can't believe I did this. The fuck, I'm the worst husband. Fuck, I've done it again. I'm such a fucking, you know. No, I just forgot to get a box of soy milk, all right? And she's annoyed, but her annoyed isn't, I'm going to leave you, whereas in my head, that's what it is. So that's that's a big one for me. Emotional reasoning. This is a biggie, man. Like I feel, therefore, it's real, basically. I feel anxious, therefore, I know something bad is going to happen. It's not true, all right? Just because I feel anxious doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen. It's just a feeling in my body. I feel, therefore, it's real is not true. Just because you feel it doesn't make it real. Should statements is another one. This is also in with with musts, shoulds and must. In the book, he's hilarious. He makes a wank joke. He calls it masturbation. That should statements are, I, I should have a better car. I should have a better, you know, I should have a better phone because everyone else has got a good phone. I should have a better phone. Even though I can't afford it, I'm going to buy a better phone because I should have a better phone. The person who does my job should have a better phone. Labeling is another one calling a person lazy or that, you know, they don't care. They went to a party while they were sick. They're so selfish because they don't care about everybody else. They're just going to make other people sick. They're so selfish. That's labeling. Personalization. This is a biggie. This is another one that my ego jumps in. All right. Say, for example, not that she did, but say Audrey um, went to the shops and um, she stopped at a pedestrian crossing and the person behind her ran into a there was a nose to tail and Audrey was in front and the car ran up, you know, into the back of our car. If we'd had a fight just before we'd left, before she'd left, I'd be like, oh, well, the accident's my fault because we had a fight before she left. All right. Not true, but it's up there. There's up there with blame as well. And uh, what's another really good one? Oh, mind reading. That's a really good one. The mind reading or uh, what's another one I, I like? Um, fortune telling. Fortune telling is, uh, you know, it just basically deciding the future, deciding what the future is going to go on. And that, another really, you know, and the, the big hit for me, catastrophizing, right? This thing happened, therefore that thing happened, therefore this, 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 I'm dead. Or this thing happened and that thing happened and I no longer have a job. This thing happened and that thing happened and my wife has left me. You know, I can go from a spilt cup of coffee to being divorced in about four, less than four seconds. All right, just catastrophizing, just monster. So anyway, that's just a just a few of the cognitive distortions that are out there. You can go and find a list of of your own, but being aware of them is really really important. So basically, how how it works is this: is like you get a piece of paper and you write down. You have like three separate columns: a column on the left, a column in the middle, a column on the right. And in the column of the, on the left, 
you write down what happened and, and what you made it mean. All right. So an example I was thinking about when I started doing this, um, there was a meeting that we had at work. It was a, a sales planning meeting where we were trying to think of ways that we could pitch a client about a particular thing. This is back in cable TV days, right? And one of the people in the meeting showed a slide and I just piped up and said, oh, that's never going to work. And the people gave me a funny look and then after, and my stomach dropped. And then after the meeting, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know. So I wrote in the first column, that's never going to work is what I said. Now everyone in the meeting room thinks I'm an asshole. I'll never be asked to that kind of planning meeting again. I don't belong in those meetings anyway. So in the second column, you write down what's the distortions. Now in that labeling, so I'm an asshole, I'm jumping to conclusions. I'm deciding I'll, I'll never be asked to that kind of planning meeting again uh, and catastrophizing, just deciding how the future is going to be. You know, and it's a horrible ending up. And in the third column, you write down a rational response. Like if you weren't in the clutches of this flooded emotional moment deciding all these things to be true with no evidence, what would it be? What's a rational way to think about it? Because that's the thing. There's no evidence to show any of those things unless you have conversations with people. So in the, the third column, I would write down my rational response, which is I disagreed with a slide, but that's what the meeting was for, was to discuss an option. If I need to clean up how I spoke to my colleague with my tone of voice or something like that, I can do that with them one-on-one. -on -one. And another rational thing is I don't get invited to planning meetings by accident. I was asked there because they thought, they believed that I would, it would be valuable to have me there. Therefore, they will ask me again. And then this is the tricky part. Because I have obsessive compulsive disorder and I can have ruminating anxiety, I will go back to the start and I'll feel that feeling again. I'll feel the feeling of everyone looking at me funny in the meeting just a thousand times. And I just go back to the paper and go, uh-huh, that's what I'm doing. What's the rational response? There it is. And I will do that. I'll just do that again and again. I'll do that however long it takes. The important part about this is to write it down. You actually have to use a pencil and or a pen and paper. You've got to write it down. You've got to get that energy out of your brain, down your arm, onto the page. For some reason, I've tried this in my phone. I've tried it in my laptop. It doesn't work as well. For me, personally, it might be fine for you. I have to write it down. Personally, I have to write it down. There are apps for this, and I've used apps for this, and it has been handy on the fly, but I've found longhand is best. Because when, it, particularly in a notebook, I have mine in a notebook, in a spiral notebook. When you see the distorted thinking there on the page in your own handwriting, you get to go, oh, wow. And you can separate yourself from it a bit. And you kind of kind of go, uh-huh. And, and you can kind of be away from it a little easier than when it's just a text on a screen, that the same screen that you read your Twitter and Instagram and Facebook updates on. Another example was, is only a few years ago uh, before I met Audrey. Um, well, actually, more than a few years ago now. So like eight years ago, nine years ago when I was single. I went on a date with someone, right, and she didn't text me back. So in the first column, I write down what did I ha what happened and, and, and what did I make it mean, right? So we went on one date and she didn't text me back. No woman like her ever wants a man like me. I'm going to be single forever. All right. That's the first column. The second column, I write down what cognitive distortions are in play there, all right, because there's no evidence to back up any of those things. She never told me any of those things. She never told me that she doesn't want a man like me and, and no one's ever been able to prove that I'm going to be single forever. There's no evidence for either of those things. So what's the cognitive distortions at play here? The fortune teller or the crystal ball it's called sometimes where I'm, I'm reading the future, that no woman like her ever wants a man like me and catastrophizing, I'm going to be single forever. Okay, not true. So in the third column, 
what's a rational response to what happened? Her not texting me back is really good information. I have enough self-respect now. This is not after I got sober. I have enough, enough self-respect now to know that I don't want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with me. I liked her, but if she's not into it, there's no point pushing it. No good relationship it works only one way. I'm not, and of course I won't be single forever. There's three and a half billion women on this planet. A lot of them are single. I will be fine. I can just take this time to work on myself, be sure that I'm even more ready to be in a relationship next time I meet someone. All right. And just, I come back to that every time I go back to, oh, she didn't text me back. Hang on. Let's go back over here. Here's the rational one. It's really powerful, really, really powerful stuff. And what's really important for me about doing it in the book, and uh, you, you're page after page after page. And so the second columns line up. You start to go down the second columns and you notice, well, I started to notice the same thing happening again. And for me, there's two really big ones catastrophizing and being right, all right? They're the same things that keep happening every time. And so once you get to know the distortions that your brain uses regularly, you can kind of do this on the fly. You know, you can feel flooded, you can feel the moment and then go, what am I, oh, I'm catastrophizing. Oh, okay, all right, okay. And you can kind of handle it as you go. And I ended up like not having to use the page so much. I still do but I ended up having to use the page not so much. But it was really, really handy. I still use it to try and work things out in my head. My notebook is filled with this stuff, and I use it every single morning. But it's really, really handy, and I'd encourage you to kind of give it a shot. Give it a try. Try it out for, try it out for a month, you know, and just see if it works for you. If you've never challenged your own thoughts, at least have a look over at the lookup cognitive distortions, CBT cognitive distortions. And just, there's a few different versions of the list, but they all, there's about 10 or 15 really, really common ones. And what's wild about it is that you can actually change your neural pathways. You can change, because what you have is you have these automatic thoughts that go to catastrophizing, that go to labeling, that go to all or nothing thinking, that go to black and white thinking, that go to overgeneralization, that go to always being right, that go to personalization. That thing happened because I was involved, therefore it's my fault that, you know, whatever, the stock crashed, the plane crashed, the car crashed, whatever. (laughs) Whatever's in your head. My child didn't finish their essay and therefore didn't get a good mark on their exam, all right? All these things are well-documented. And once you start to learn how your brain automatically goes there, you can challenge that and go, but is it? Is there evidence? okay, there is an evidence. So what's another way that I can think about it? What what choice am I making about this that I don't realize I've made that gives me what I see? What other choices can I make about this that I haven't made yet can give me something else, can give me some more possibility here? And that's kind of what you go with. And that's what I've found to be really, really helpful. And this is one of the things that I do when I write down every morning and, you know, while I'm having a cup of coffee before I get on the bike, if there's anything particularly troubling me that I can't really seem to wash out, it's this technique that I use to work it through using a pen and paper, pencil, I like a pencil, and try and work it through. So that's one way that you can use writing as a form of mental health first aid, but also mental health maintenance. I'll probably talk a bit more about it next week because there's a few other techniques that I like to use, but I only had enough time to really go through this one today. But I hope it's helpful. If you do use CBT, I'd, you know, I'd love to know your thoughts and you know what you think about it. Um, if you've never used it before, I'd love to hear from you about, you know, just giving it a shot and seeing 
how it went for you. Thanks heaps for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks Andy Ma who cut this together, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, Mike Mills who made the music, Hayley Van Spanio on the socials. Monday's episode, well, it's Hearing Awareness Week next week. You don't know this, but I'm wearing a pair of headphones right now that are turned up very loud because I wear hearing aids because I've spent a lot of my life wearing headphones turned up very loud. And it's Hearing Awareness Week next week. So we're going to speak with Susie Elliman, who's somebody that not only has had a very long and fruitful and great career in the in the media, which I cannot wait for you to hear about because it's a it's a masterclass in freelance work, even if you're not on camera or radio or whatever. She's just a legend of the way she speaks about it, but also someone who's lived with significant hearing loss for a lot of her life. And, you know, I know I talk about it a bit, but it's, it's nice to hear from, from someone else. Uh, and I, I can't wait for you to uh, hear that conversation with Susie. So until we speak on Monday, thanks for listening. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 